All right, welcome back to the Inking Out Loud podcast. As you can tell, uh, I am Drew McCaffrey, your host, and things are a little different because normally it's Rob doing the intro, but this is a bonus episode, and uh, I am recording this from out in Utah at Legendarium Studios. Is there a name for this? Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, obviously, I have with me Craig Hanks, the host of the Legendarium. Thanks for... Yeah, thanks for coming on, Craig. Yeah. And the other host of the Legendarium, Ryan Bruckman. Thank you for my inaugural visit to the the Inking Out Loud podcast. Yeah, it's good to have you. And of course, my wonderful wife, Lauren McCaffrey. Thanks for dragging me out here. Yep. So today <laughs> we are doing something a little special. Uh, as Lauren's presence might indicate, uh, we're covering a Star Wars book again. And this is a little bit of a, a dual episode that we're doing with the Legendarium. And I'm going to toss it over to Craig to explain. I, I was just waiting for Ryan to slide in with a duel of the fates joke <laughs> or something. No, no, I am, I'm trying to be better right now. I'm trying to be better about letting things happen when they're supposed to happen. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> so, so this is a special episode. If you listened to the Legendarium version of this episode, we talked about Shadows of the Empire and some other eu stuff um but most especially about that book and the storyline and its treatment of the characters and all of that stuff we are going to try to not retread that ground very much so please go listen to that episode and get that part of the conversation the other half of the conversation is going to happen here we're going to be talking about uh the context of this book how it came to be uh the author himself steve perry we'll try to bring you a different point of view oh if you will. gosh <laughs> i'm sorry I, gonna, failed. I, I said i was doing better but i failed immediately <laughs> we're going to talk about the style uh, of the book and how it compares to other eu books and basically this is this is where we get into was was the writing any good and uh, and then some of the the real world context and that sort of stuff anyway so i hope you go listen to the other episode on the legendarium and then enjoy this episode as well because we're going to be doing a giveaway this is a double giveaway i have one of these things drew has one of these things and we are each going to select a listener to uh, uh to to receive this gift this giveaway gift drew do you want to describe what you're holding in your hand right now yeah well uh as expected since this is the inking out loud podcast i am holding a glass full of delicious beer and this glass is special because on one side we have a beautiful laser etching of the legendarium podcast logo and name and on the other side an even more beautiful laser etching (laughs) of the inking out loud podcast logo and name And as Craig said, we have two of these glasses that we're going to be giving away, uh, one from each of us. And uh, stay tuned for the end of the episode where we're going to talk, uh, you know, some details on how to enter into this giveaway. Yeah. If you listened to the Legendarium episode, you got the first half of the uh, hashtag that you're going to need to use on Twitter to enter into the the giveaway drawing. Uh, So you got to go listen to that. We're going to give you the second half of that. Uh, at the end of this episode. Yeah. And so uh, instead of just diving straight into writing style the way we normally do, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the real world context of Shadows of the Empire, because this is not your typical expanded universe novel. And Sorry, Drew, before we get into that, can I just double check that we have uh, really hit it very hard that we expect that you have read this book at this point or either have read this book or listened to the legendarium episode because we're skipping past the 
the plot summary and the characters and all yes. that stuff. We're assuming that you're kind of up to speed, right? Yes, we okay. are. Right. Um, yeah. Sorry. Now go on. I just spoilers wanted to make sure that ahoy. was. Yeah. If if spoilers from a 1996 Star Wars book, yeah, non-canon now Star Wars book matter to you? Um, yeah, either either uh, go read the book now or play the video game or listen to the Legendarium episode, which you should have already done. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah yeah. So this, as I said, you know, this book came out in 1996, but this book was not the only thing. Uh, uh, involved in the shadows of the empire multimedia project. And, uh, and it was, it was new ground for star Wars and it was really only possible because of the success, the massive success of, uh, Timothy Zahn's Thrawn trilogy, uh, sort of revitalized star Wars in the early nineties and paved the way for the prequels, the special edition, uh, re-releases of the original trilogy in 1997 and, uh, and, and yeah, so Shadows of the Empire was sort of a springboard that George Lucas wanted to use to, you know, trump up some more interest in Star Wars before these big new steps were going to be taken uh, on the big screen. And so what they decided, they, you know, Lucasfilm, George Lucas, uh, a few of his, you know, top consultants and, and people got together in 1994 to plan out shadows of the empire and the original plan for it was we're going to make a movie without a movie we're going to do everything we would normally do for a movie and then just not do the movie so they did a novelization a comic book a video game a whole line of toys uh, a junior novelization a soundtrack uh, all sorts of fun stuff and uh and and i don't know do you think they were successful in in, in this endeavor? Uh, okay, can I, can I just throw out there that it is 2020, it's been 24 years, and we're about to talk about Shadows of the Empire, right? We're still talking about this. I th and we talked in the last episode about how the target market for this is basically what we were at the time, which was young boys. Yeah. Right, and so yes, it, it hit at the right time for sure. And if if you're not in our same demographic, maybe it wasn't quite the same for you, but I can assure you this story and, and the experience of the movie that was the movie without a movie has stuck with me for a long time. So uh, was it successful? I don't know about the commercial aspect of it, but from the fan perspective, absolutely. Uh, I would say yes in the time, but it won't last. Uh, there is a, uh, when we die, it will be forgotten. <laughs> well, maybe not even that long. Uh, it's it will last until there is content enough to make it so that you don't even think think about it anymore. Um, going back because that's the thing is we're going back for nostalgia. The next sure. generation is not going to do that sort right. of thing. And the novelization and the game, while they're enjoyable and there's a lot of really good things to them, is not enough to draw a the, a new generation to come and and be a part of them right now. So I, I would say for what it was aimed to do in terms of uh, generating Star Wars hype, getting us ready for the prequel uh, drive, um, and kind of gauging exactly how much merch can we do on these things, what works, what doesn't, you know, video games. Uh, we, we've had some other video games that have worked fairly well, but let's, is LucasArts a viable video game company, you know, uh, with all of the different pieces we've done? 
yeah, all that is success. Great success in the 90s, uh, even early 2000s. It's great for us to uh, nostalgia over. <laughs> <Don't> <laughs> nostalgize. To, nostalgize, sure. Um, but in the long term, I think if you are looking to create a long-lasting piece of Star Wars lore, yeah, it's not, I'd give it another 10, 15 years. Yeah, it, it is interesting because in a lot of ways, uh, you know, post-Disney, uh, with Star Wars, a lot of the old expanded universe has been swept under the rug almost literally. Uh, but Shadows of the Empire holds a unique spot in that legacy because of where it falls in the timeline. Yes. And uh, and and I I do want to note when they initially sat down, uh, they originally wanted it to go between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. And Steve Perry, the author they brought on, you know, uh, to write the book, he was also involved in the talks and kind of convinced them, no, it would be better between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi in your timeline. You know, you have this like year-ish gap between them. And why why is Han Solo not just like straight from Bespin to Jabba the Hutt's palace? We need to explain this gap in the storyline. We need to explain how Luke made his new lightsaber and developed himself, you know, and we talked about that a, b a bit on the Legendarium episode. Um, but because of that, that unique spot, I think it'll have a little more uh, longevity than a lot of the other expanded universe stuff like the New Jedi mm -hmm. Order and, uh, you know, Fate of the Jedi, Legacy of the Force, things like that. Can I just say, as somebody who didn't know that this existed until, uh, weeks ago, <laughs> <laughs> I know that I'm not I was not the target audience but I had no idea like growing up no idea up, what oh that it, that, that that it this, had even happened that it even happened yeah right no I think uh, it's one of those things where you had to be a certain age uh, and a certain gender <laughs> at a certain time yeah in history right and so we were uh, obviously not uniquely but uh, we were highly uh, well positioned yeah. to receive this in 1996, right? Targeted, yeah. if you will. <laughs> yeah, I, I will. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, that's interesting though. I, you are Lauren. You're a nerd. You've been around. <laughs> you, you're steeped in Star Wars, much like most of the culture. I wonder. I wonder how often that's the case. That you know, you could go to somebody and say, "Are you a Star Wars fan?" Oh yeah, I love Star Wars. And then you say, "Have you ever, you know?" have you watched anything outside the movies oh yeah yeah watch the mandalorian it's great you know uh, yeah i love star wars ever heard of shadows of the empire i'm sorry what yeah <laughs> I, and i bet that would be pretty common i never thought about it before because you know we're we're self-centered creatures and you we had to think about ourselves and you liked star wars and you were born at the right time <laughs> yeah exactly well yeah. i mean the the marketing for episode one two and three really hit home with us and i remember getting those toys in the happy meals and I remember playing those little games, mm -hmm. but this one just missed us. Just, yeah, yeah. I have never eaten more Taco Bell. Yes. Than when they were doing prequel stuff, and you could get like the pogs <laughs> of the, yes. the different characters. Uh, here's a fun fact for you: as long as, long as we're talking about merchandising, I didn't grow up. My my parents didn't let us drink caffeinated sodas because you know we were hyper enough as kids, right? They don't need caffeine. Mm -hmm. uh, but you better believe we had every collectible can of Mountain Dew and Pepsi in our house <laughs> with all the episode one characters on them. I believe those are still in the attic somewhere. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, molding over or whatever. So, yeah. <laughs> I had a, 
sorry, shifting topic just a little bit here. I have a question for you guys that popped into my head in between episodes here. Shadows of the Empire, the title itself, mm. does it fit? No. Nope. Okay. Then was- <laughs> yeah. Great, great question. Here's your answer. Yeah. So, it, unless, unless, okay, here's my one justification. Sorry, Drew. I'm stealing your thunder. All right. Go ahead. That Shizor and Black Sun are some kind of shadow of the Empire. Uh, that's the best I can do. So, in answer to your question, no, it doesn't fit. The, you know, going back to that that apocryphal pitch meeting in mm-hmm. 1994 uh, when they decided to move it in the timeline to um, post Empire Strikes Back. Uh, they were cognizant of the uh, the plot structure that they were going to need to do. You know, the thing we talked about uh, on the Legendarium episode where uh, they have a, a third party was necessary for this book uh to work conflict wise right you need a black sun yeah. not just rebels and, and empire and the idea of it was that we're going to talk about we're going to write about the stories going on in the shadows see in the would change yeah. everything for me mm-hmm. in the shadow of the yeah. empire yeah okay yeah so uh so in, in that way i understand the title but i i also agree that there's um, a little mismatch yeah a, l- a little um nebulous uh, so to titling. speak <laughs> okay <laughs> uh, um but uh but yeah uh, let's let's talk about the author here a little bit you know to segue into writing style so steve perry was um he's a lead singer of a band for a long time <laughs> exactly uh, took a hiatus yeah. <laughs> uh, to write for i want a, you to know while. you cracked that joke on the last episode so if someone listened to the other episode they're gonna get this joke twice i don't, I don't <laughs> care i don't care <laughs> Oh, it's it's sorry. Fine. Steve Perry is also the lead singer of Journey. Okay, no, <laughs> different Steve Perry. Go on, Drew. Who's Steve um, Perry? Well, so he's a he's a pretty accomplished science fiction fantasy writer. But specifically, the reason he was brought on for Shadows of the Empire is because he had done several other movie novelizations, including uh, The Mask and I think Alien. Yes, um, Alien. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to actually scroll through. Yeah, yeah. Remind me not to read that because I love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Alien? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that movie. Uh, but yeah, he, he had done a couple of fairly successful um, you know, movie novelizations in the years before this. And they were like, all right, you know, we could go for a more uh, you know, accomplished or acclaimed technical writer. We could try to get Timothy Zahn back for this or something, but they said, you know what? No, this guy knows how to do movie novelizations and we're doing a movie without a movie. So why don't we stay in theme? You know, and they brought him on and to, uh, to make that segue into style. Do you think that was a good choice? No. Okay. (laughs) Asked and answered. Moving on. (laughs) Uh, without having read any of his other works, I would be curious actually to look back to so look at some I. of his others just to see uh, a comparison because we've talked a bit about how a lot of times these things are done via committee and committees do not generally create great creativity or originality in those things. They're, they homogenize things very quickly. Oh, yeah. um, and I have a feeling that we might see some variance in that. Uh, other novelizations would also... You know, uh, Alien would probably still be underneath some sort of committee or at least a, an approval group. You know, Ridley Scott's probably got to have some say in the novelization yeah. if he approves sort of thing. But 
to see how it compares uh is it was it just uh was it the area the the worlds that he was writing in uh, a lack of a grasp of characters uh was it just that he wrote it to match the the writings of the time you know that was just what was at the time and now he if he wrote it he'd write it differently i don't know Not that's yet. a that's a great point i we're about to tear this book to shreds we are and <laughs> even though we enjoyed it a bit like, no there there i hope we made that clear on the legendary episode there are things about this that are enjoyable yeah it's it's uh it's certainly worth reading if you're a 10 year old boy in the 90s a hundred percent um you know nowadays does it hold up when i'm in my 30s and you know it's quite a ways in the rearview mirror no not not really and so it's tough to recommend it now you know but I hope it's clear there are things about it we liked. The actual writing of the book, the pen to paper writing of the book is pretty egregious. It's it, and and that's yeah. a great point, Ryan. I, I so I, I said we're going to tear this book op- open or tear this book apart and I guess I don't want it to be too much like this man is a bad writer because we don't know what all the influences were. Mhm. Yeah, and we don't have enough context on him to say that he is not a good writer, but this book is not well written. Right. How's that? Yeah. That's good. good. I, I mean, taking context, Lucas has some great stories, but his writing and dialogue is. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if he's coming, you know, maybe you should have him uh, say that he was chasing him into a void or something like that. That'd be good. Do that. <laughs> so basically, we should have gotten, uh, what was it, Irving Kirshner to, yeah. to write the novelization of oh, Shadows yeah. of the Empire? I mean, I, I think there there would have been a, a better alternative, although I don't think he was even on the radar at the time. And I know who Lauren's thinking of. Matthew Stover. Yeah. Who, uh, if, was he active at the time? I believe he had published one book, maybe two. And, um, and now he, in, in Star Wars, he's famous for writing the uh, Wraith Squadron? Uh, no, uh, the episode three novelization. So, oh, okay. And then he also did uh, Shatterpoint, the Mace Windu novel, uh, Luke Skywalker in the Shadows of Mindor, and Traitor, which is widely regarded as the best book in the New Jedi Order and possibly the single best expanded universe book. Okay. All right. Um, it, yeah, Matthew Stover took Star Wars novelizations to an entirely new level mm-hmm. a couple of years after, uh, you know, a couple of six years after Shadows of the Empire came out. But it is remarkable to compare the difference in approach to a quote-unquote movie novelization with Shadows of the Empire to the prequel novelizations. And not just Matthew Stover, but the the episode one and two novelizations um, that take a much more nuanced approach to things like character and point of view, which there is not a whole lot of nuance here in, in Shadows of the Empire. No, no, there's not. Um and, and, oh man, and when it comes to point of view, this is probably my biggest criticism of this book, is that it's ostensibly written in third-person limited, you know, perspective. But the the just overall lack of voice in any of the points of view, except for possibly Shizor, I, I mean, the, the sheer number of, you know, page breaks into, you know, point of view switches... And how long it takes you to figure out whose head you're in? Uh, it's an indication. Of, oh my goodness! Of a of a, a poor, uh, of a weak point of view. I guess what you're saying yeah. is uh, we we don't have a flavor when we're in somebody's head. Yeah. Right. 
Right. Yeah, Sheezler's the only one who who, who has to get that. Yeah. Uh, certainly not with Luke or Leia or Lando. Uh, the number of scenes that they're all together and we get a, a transition and you're like, okay, well, I know which characters are in the scene, but who whose head am I in? Yeah, and it's, it's interesting you say that because I hadn't considered this before, but now when I think back on it, it's as though it's not... It's not third person. It's limited omniscient in a way, yes. right? It's an omniscient narrator who's really only concentrating on one person that he's looking yeah, at. It's, Is it's that, very does that make strange. Any sense? It, it's it an oxymoron. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, the, it might be an oxymoron, but then again, go read the book and you'll know what I'm talking <laughs> yeah. about. It, it, it was man, it, a real a, a real struggle to get my head around the approach to point of view in this book. And uh, and and that's of course not helped at all by just the pure mechanics and sentence structures or fragment structures. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> now we're getting into it. Can we do some specifics? We've talked. Yeah, we, go for it. We we've talked in generalities about oh, it's not great, but I, this is something that I highlighted a few times. There is a certain paragraph structure or you know dual sentence structure that just started to really drive me crazy this is on page 20 and i'm already at the point where i'm like stop stop it stop doing this okay we're only 20 pages in um let's see this is leia waiting to meet lando in the not moss eisley cantina yeah yeah right okay so she's waiting to meet lando she put the safety on and tucked the blaster away period fiddled with the stir stick in her drink period and this happens constantly throughout the book sentence period fragment period and it's one of those things where if you were listening to an audiobook version of it and somebody just said it they would just read it with a comma mm -hmm. but because yeah. there's a period and this i know look this is one of those it might sound super nitpicky but it ripped me right out so many times i couldn't get past it without rolling my eyes and so i'm bringing it up don't use a period there. If anything, use a comma or write better. <laughs> and, Either one of those things. And you brought up the audio. I yeah. did. I did listen to it. It's it's abridged. Don't do that. Oh yeah. yeah Unless same. you just How want do you like abridge this book. Uh, it's already abridged. <laughs> <laughs> so it's three hours. The audiobook. I mean, I guess if you're trying to make a a movie without a movie, and you want to make your media sort of why. Sorry, this, is, this seems stupid to me, but fine. Continue. continue. It's, yeah. it's, it's pretty dumb. So they have sound effects and, and music, but their is scenes it, make no sense. Is it the music from the soundtrack, the actual Shadows of the Empire soundtrack? Oh, oh I don't think so. It sounds like the stuff from the movies. Okay. Oh, right. th then it may be. It may be from They that. did use some of the Empire Strikes Back motifs in the uh, Shadows of the Empire soundtrack. I was just curious but. about the experience. But yeah. I, I bought it and then realized it was abridged and immediately returned it to Audible. <laughs> yeah. I, like, yeah, I tried. I tried. They they won't let me. Well, so so but. on on the subject of sentence fragments, um, Craig just mentioned one thing. You know, one particular yeah uh, style tick uh, of of Mister Perry's here, and and I'm going to point out another. And and this became much more uh, prevalent in the later sections of the book. And that was starting sentences and then cutting it off and ending with an M dash. Okay. And, and this 
I'm not going to read the whole thing because it is about a page, but there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 paragraphs. It was scintillating radio, by the way, to hear you count to 16. Oh, thank that. you. Yeah. yeah. And nine of can them. Sesame Street can do it, so can Drew. <laughs> nine of these paragraphs end with an M dash. Oh, man. It, it, it's, you know, she well, circled look well, for an over half. M dash. Uh, Luke, M dash. <laughs> Leia's scream distracted him. He flicked his gaze toward the sound of her voice, saw her, and the others turned to look at him. M dash. It was enough for Geary. She took a long sliding step and punched. M dash. Just over and over and over again. <laughs> it drove me up the wall. <laughs> I'll, I'll play. I'll, I'll play the idiot here. The, the, the purpose of using an M dash in, in something like this, what would you generally use an M dash for versus something is cut off? So somebody is saying something, they're cut off, interrupted by another person or an event or something. Right. And the M dash indicates that there is more that should have come after what you just read. Or yeah. uh, you can also use an ellipsis for that, although usually the M dash is like a, abrupt, a harder. Abrupt. Yeah. Versus a fade off. Right. Yeah. Okay. That makes, that makes sense. A lot of the things we've talked about now, I keep feeling like he decided to try and write movie cuts yes using oh, text the pov mm -hmm. shifts yeah big time oh yeah but they're so jarring i just i can't even see how that would work in a movie in okay so this was something that i was noticing especially as the book like the last quarter the last third of the book is that things are starting to quote unquote pick up um <laughs> <laughs> things are starting to pick up we're getting all these pov shifts and I, I apologize, I don't have the, uh, the a great example here pulled up, but he would shift to a POV for a person to say one line yes. and then think for three paragraphs and then shift to another POV. And so it's structured as though it's an action sequence and we're cutting to get slightly different takes on the action. And But it's not, it's just somebody going, you know, bring me my ship. Lando fiddled with his hot chocolate from his uh you know the, the, the timothy zahn novels and 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 thought to himself you know what I, I need to enslave more droids that's what i need to do with my life i'm thinking yeah you know droids really are good for nothing but slavery and then it cuts to giri's point of view and she goes uh, hey prince shizor what up and then it cuts to luke you know it, it just meaningless cuts i guess yeah mm -hmm. There's, there's writing cinematically, which is very common now to write with a lot of description and clarity so that you can see what's happening in the sequence. And then there's literally writing editorially, cine cinematic editorially, because <laughs> that's like I'm sitting here going, yeah, that would be the right place for a cut, you know, in video editing like that if you're, you've seen the perspective and everything. But I, I see why that would be jarring. Like that's, that would be considered jarring, especially if it's, it does not fit the medium well to do that. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I cannot think of any book that would benefit from you cutting it like a video. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It, it's it, it makes for a difficult reading experience. Yeah, to mm -hmm. put it lightly. Um, but you know, and once again, comparing it to some other Star Wars books, you know, I think of, of course, the the Episode Three novelization is the the easy target because it's it's simply the best one, but. But even some of the other EU books that weren't necessarily novelizations, uh, the approach to things like point of view and the approach to internal character uh, struggles and, and character arcs 
is so much more focused in the other books and and more compelling because a uh, even when it's characters like Luke or Leia or Vader you know or whoever characters in the movies um, they usually the other authors usually go out of their way to find new depths to explore to them and in this where any depths are explored it is retreading you know it's stuff we already knew about the characters right and uh and and it just doesn't make for uh any sort of investment in in either the story or the characters because it's all stuff you you already knew you know if you've if you've watched the movies you know everything that's going to happen with these characters already and uh and it doesn't have to be that way, even for a book like this. You know, this is something where maybe I'll come to the defense of the book a little bit. We've talked in this episode and the legendary one about how the the only characters to get any sort of um, arc are Shizor and Vader to a certain extent, but mostly Shizor, right? But I'm going to come to the, to the defense of Steve Perry and this book generally in that you can't really plumb too many depths in a novel that's positioned the way it is in the timeline because we have what we do in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi if you start really developing the characters then the question will inevitably become well why did they regress or why did they make this choice or whatever in Return of the Jedi so you can't quite do that and so it makes more sense to me now that now that I think about it that Prince Shizor gets the lion's share of the character work here. Yes. I mean, we have very good evidence as what happens when Star Wars has to retcon itself shortly after <laughs> being released. <laughs> um, so I, I can agree with that. But I still think that you could explore things knowing where they go and where they start. There's still a potential for more, more interesting exploration that doesn't have to make your character vastly different than what they become like yeah and and there is room in in a book like this for you know obviously we have some development for Shizor, uh but you know my big gripe from from the legendarium episode there was room for development with a character like giri there's room for development you know with a character like dash rendar mm-hmm. you can use um you know the 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 original cast as your foundation but then you can have new characters be the tent poles that hold the story up. Right. You know, and uh, and I think that was a missed opportunity in Shadows of the Empire here. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's fine by me. I guess I'm, my point was just you can't really give Leia that much to do. Right, yeah. Right. So, broken record here, but n- like episode three novelization, they did go so much deeper with Anakin and Obi-Wan. Okay. Right. It, that's but that's a novelization of a movie that we right. are watching. But they could have done something more superficial like what happened here. He could have done that. And he he didn't and it didn't mess up the story. Yeah, and I, I, I'm not saying I'm not saying that Steve Perry couldn't have done better <laughs> with with his characterization of the rebel heroes. Yeah. I, I I'm just I'm offering a justification for, for why, why the concentration was placed where it was. Mm-hmm. 
So that's all. There's there's some low hanging, uh, relatively low hanging fruit, and I I wouldn't say that it's not that it's entirely ignored, uh, because we did talk about it earlier. But you have a pretty open arc area in Luke becoming a Jedi. You yes. just know that by Return of the Jedi, he has to be competent as a Jedi and willing to call himself a Jedi. So that's your end point. You can do pretty much anything you want up to that point with a little bit of, you know... Some uh, leeway. Yeah, with some leeway there. You can't have him go and become a great Jedi master and then hit his head all of a sudden and regress back to where he is in <laughs> Return of the Jedi, obviously. But there's that. You know, uh, Leia and her role... that. The thing is, is this this trio, uh, minus Han, who's you know on ice right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Lando, this this trio has always been a, a the rogue group that runs off to have the adventure, um, but then as soon as they come back to the group, they're the they're the leaders. So like Leia, to her role as a leader in the rebellion, yeah, you're not going to be able to explore that a ton, but maybe maybe there's more there for her to to showcase her leadership other than just. I'm strong enough to not be seduced by your pheromones and I'm going to kick you in the junk as soon as I come to. Well, like <laughs> she she has an almost scene with Guri where she's they're kind of exploring each other in the political <laughs> Easy, easy. All right, what kind of book did you read? Man, I got the condensed version. Is that in the audiobook? <laughs> no, Playing it's not, just not really. Abridged. Explored it's, each yeah. other's. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> Like politically, they're just talking around each other. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, oh, okay. We just there's no way to to save no. this. Yeah, we you just can't, you can't recover. No, Lauren, I can't. Just, that, that could not have sorry. come from a better person. <laughs> I, I I actually am interested in hearing about this almost scene. But uh, sorry, you really threw us off. But what were you saying? There's an almost so, scene. There's some quasi lesbian action. Okay, go. Right, right. Well, she's getting into her political roots, and she's like, I know how to, you know, talk around what I want her to give me. Like, Let me tell you about second wave feminism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But they they almost explore yeah. her political roots, and then they kind of go, oh, well. They treat some of these moments more like cameos than exploration. Yes. Yeah. Remember, she's a leader. She can do this. She's a political person. She can do this. Luke's a Jedi. He can do this. By the way, uh, Lando's a a, a He's swindler. A con man. He's a con man or whatever. Also, apparently, a terrorist. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> um. But no, y- you're nailing. Uh. You know, one of my points uh, on this and that's there's a whole lot of telling going on rather than showing in yep. this mm-hmm. book it's it you know I'm gonna tell you that Prince Shizor is the smartest person in the galaxy I'm sure as hell not gonna show it to you because what I'm showing you is that he's actually pretty dumb you know <laughs> like, he's your standard mafia boss like by the time you by the time you finish with everything you realize oh no you're just you're a mafia boss who got to where you are because you have special power you not force powers but you have your own special powers and i i'm sorry i just yeah we talked about him being dumb in the last one but (laughs) yeah uh can i talk about showing and not telling yes please because i know on on inking out loud it's a you know a little bit different from the legendarium in that i can kind of get into if you're an editor if you're a writer if you aspire to write better than what this novel gave us don't do you know x okay so here's x all right so we are i don't know halfway through the book we're in shizor's palace leia is there 
A short distance ahead, I'm okay, now I'm reading. A short distance ahead was another door, another six guards in armor in front of it. Um, and when they'd gotten through it, there were yet more guards. It seemed as if whoever ran this place didn't want unexpected company. They came to a bank of four turbo lifts. Baldi, the guy leading them to Shizor, Baldi punched a code into the keypad and the door to the lift on the left opened. The three of them stepped in, leaving the two guards behind. All right, so that's our setup. And now we're gonna get into some horrible, horrible redundancy. Okay, so listen close. As the lift rose, Leia said, learn to trust us already? She nodded at the guards, they dropped off. Baldi smiled, the lift stopped, and another pair of guards stood there. There's your show. And here's your tell. Well, perhaps Baldi hadn't learned to trust them after all. Yeah. Okay, so they, uh, sorry, I, that was a lot of reading, but I just wanted to set up the scene. Show, don't tell, right? So they step off, the, the, the lift stopped, and another pair of guards stood there. Clearly, you don't trust us. Next paragraph. Well, Perhaps Baldi hadn't learned to trust them after all. Anyway, that's just one of those things. If you're trying to, if you're trying to get good at writing, and what is it? We say these things all the time when we critique books, and you know what? But what does it actually mean to show and not tell? That's what it means. Yeah. Show that no, they don't trust Leia and Chewie. Show by the presence of the guards, and then and then shut up. Yeah. And you yeah. don't have to tell us again after that. There are there are certain circumstances when telling is okay. You yeah. know, writing a book. There, you know, when you when you reach a point where showing would become so circuitous and and just you're going to spend five hundred words showing something that you could just tell in one sentence. Yeah, go ahead and tell that. But when you have a book just full of telling, and even when you do show something, you then proceed to tell it again. You know, that's when it starts bringing the reader out of the text because you're like, all right, I can, I can hear the author telling me this instead of becoming lost in the prose. How do you balance character response to stimulus like that? Because in that sequence, I looked at that and it's, you know, and the two guards were at the door and then Leia responds like, to me, that's a, a mental thought of Leia responding like, Oh, I guess not. Uh, I think it could have been written better, you know, maybe a little quippy or whatever. But how do you how do you balance that out? Because I know if I was trying to write something like that, I would probably have this problem of telling, showing, and telling, because I want to know what the character thinks about. Well, I just made this this clearly defined statement of ah, you, I made a joke. You trust us already? And then oh, guess not. Like payoff. I don't know how how do you how do you do that better? So I, what I would do there, if I really wanted to like, you know, make that point of showing what Leia's response is, you know, to this new set of circumstances when the elevator, you know, the lift doors open and there's another pair of guards, I would make that next line, you know, italicized internal dialogue and use her voice in it rather than just saying she guessed, you know, yeah, we kind of talked about this. Uh, yeah whatever we're calling it i called it limited omniscient right yeah, yeah. <laughs> limited omniscient narrator where that's the voice you're using and and maybe that ryan maybe that would be solved if leia's internal monologue was more uh what what am i trying to say defined defined yeah, yeah. less bland spicier yeah just more identifiable because there you go the I mean, man, you know, I'll, I'll reiterate this over and over and over again. 
Robert Jordan was just the master of the third person close limited perspective and creating a voice for each character and uh and and Brandon Sanderson learned at the proverbial feet of the master and he is becoming a modern day master of this technique and going from reading a book like Rhythm of War where we have such powerful voice in uh you know our our different perspectives you know the there's one line you know this isn't a spoiler or anything there's one particular character who is a a scientist essentially an engineer and she thinks of another character as being immutable as math. She's the only character who would describe somebody that way. Yeah. And when you read words like that, you're like, okay, I feel like I'm really in her head. We never get any sort of voice like that from the characters in this. Like, uh, if, if she's, or for instance, if he had more descriptions, you know, thinking about somebody as being like, you know, cold as you know you know using a simile of some reptilian creature from the deep on on you know the falling homeworld that sort of thing would help establish a voice and and we just don't get that mm. yeah yeah there you go there's my commentary uh-huh. <laughs> exactly yep okay good lauren's with me on this one <laughs> Drew's soapbox has now ended. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What else do we want to talk about with style? Or do we just want to find more specific things to harp on? Drew, you look like you're you're crying into your beer. Well, I I am crying a little bit into my beer. And that's because we get a a fair amount of space battles in this. You know, we have we have the, you know, the rogues and Luke fighting the TIE fighters and Star Destroyers over Gaul. We have... um, uh, you know the battle at the end. We we've got a uh, Darth Vader attacking the Rebel base in the Vergesso asteroid belt, and the the space battle descriptions are lacking, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> okay, yeah. You know, pew, pew to, boom, pew pew boom. <laughs> when when we even get that, I mean, yeah. we get Vader hopping into his uh, Tie interceptor. Uh, his tie advanced one and uh and going out and it and we just get like one very brief description of him just casually destroying a fighter and then he's like after he destroyed like 30 more he decided he was bored and returned to the ship i'm like you couldn't spend any time like and now i'm bored yeah yeah and and uh when i compare to michael a stackpole or aaron austin you know the guys who who wrote the x-wing books Man, you know, that's how you write some starfighter combat. <laughs> and and those books were being written when when this this book was out, you know. So Right. He it's not like he he didn't have good examples of how to write Star Wars X-Wing versus TIE Fighter combat. And there's there's a lot of I talked about that one line that's redundant. There's a lot of redundancy throughout this book. Uh, I think we got three instances of a paragraph or two of Shizor talking about how he's activating his pheromones and how these things work and all that. There's there's a lot of repetition. And so you don't even have to make the book longer. Just edit out all the repetitious stuff and then you've got more room for fun space battles. Uh, you know, oh. this is a Star Wars book. Like I said before, I don't need this to be... I, I don't need every book I read to be an action 
climax, but this is a Star Wars book. We can dwell a little bit more on the pew pews. Yeah, it's it's part of the culture and the what makes Star Wars Star Wars is that there will be lasers, there will be things that blow up, and there will be spaceships. Right. Things right. like that. So. Yeah. Uh, Drew, you look like you're looking so, something else up. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna read uh, a brief quote from the climax <clears throat> of Shadows so of the Empire okay. uh, when when Vader's ship destroys the Skyhook. As it happened, the Millennium Falcon was facing it when the Skyhook exploded. Luke saw the giant Star Destroyer's powerful beam strobe. Saw it pierce the Skyhook. The planetoid shattered, blew apart, went nova, became a small star that burned brightly for an instant before it faded, leaving millions of glowing pieces behind. Wait, that's, wasn't that a Death Star? That's a Death Star laser. It's pretty serious. Yeah, very strange description. Yeah. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna read a line or or a little bit from the climax of the Back to War by Michael A. Stackpole, also dealing with. A super star destroyer. So this is an X-Wing novelization. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. The Lusankia fired its starboard weapons at the Imperial Star Destroyer, mauling it mercilessly. Turbo lasers crushed the shields while ion cannon beams skittered over the Freedom's hull. Concussion missiles peppered the smaller ship, opening huge holes. Explosions racked the Freedom, spraying debris in all directions. Yet even before the Lusankia's attack left the Freedom adrift in space, the smaller destroyer blasted back. Turbo lasers drilled through the dorsal shields and stabbed fire deep into the Lusankia's heart. Blue ion lightning capered and danced over the hull, teasing fireballs to life in its wake. The Lusankia shook with the violence of those explosions and others. Not even comparable. Like I think they are because you are currently... Well, <laughs> okay. It, it, Oh, They're contrastable. How's that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the missed opportunities with the space battles in this book are, are it just breaks my heart. <laughs> I don't know. I really enjoyed listening to the uh, basically the inst instruction manual version of how a uh, planetoid explodes. <laughs> yeah. First, it goes supernova, and then it goes this way. That, that, yeah. That was... Also, is it weird that there's a giant? mismatch between what a skyhook is in the book versus the video game mm -hmm. and if you're going to be writing something by committee maybe you get your designers to figure out what a skyhook is before yeah yeah because the skyhook in the game is just a space station right whereas in the book they're in atmosphere tethered to the ground you know right yeah so oh. okay all right. uh yeah i've got an, i've got one for you all right all right, so let's dig into some prose. As we have established, this is some very workmanlike prose. Yes, right? there's not there's not a ton going on here, uh, so that's fine. And that's not something that I necessarily have a problem with. You can do that well. You can do workman prose very very well. Okay, uh, but that's that's the style he's going for, minimally descriptive i guess whatever yeah. <laughs> there's a and i've talked i think i talked about this in the legendarium episode about how he's you don't write vader this way you don't yeah. write vader's dialogue you know learn how vader talks uh and that sort of thing anyway so he's got this very specific style um and then and vader is sensing luke at one point and this is internal right what could be causing that echo effect surely that was all it was an echo some reverberation in the force 
of a moment the ripple passed and vader was alone again of a moment of a moment <laughs> what are you hemingway get out of here <laughs> no that's anyway there's little things like that where it's like did did no editor just give that a look and say really like this this is something that's wildly out of your stylistic range for this book and you're just going to throw in of a moment yeah and, and there are moments like that of a moments like that <laughs> where you know, i felt the lack of a decent editor for this book more keenly than i felt like we had an incompetent writer where it's like you know he's he, he's got some skills he could be doing better but he needed an editor to really take this thing apart much like george lucas i think you know ryan you made that joke earlier there's another moment uh later on in the story when 3po says something about there there were men men with guns and it's like no a competent editor says uh those are blasters Uh, this is star wars yeah there's no guns in star Wars. oh my gosh there's blasters yeah i think there's one point where they they call luke's or he calls luke's lightsaber a sword right what he's like he pointed the sword at her i'm like it's and it's little things like that where it's steve perry like i said we're kind of tearing him apart a little bit but i'm gonna lay a lot of blame at the feet of uh, we needed a better editor for this book for sure and and that reminds me you know the the of a moment example reminds me a lot of one of my favorite little anecdotes from brandon sanderson and that was when he was writing elantris he had a line where he used the word inchoate and his editor slapped him across the face and said you can't just become gene wolf for one sentence get rid of that you know yeah. like like if you're if you're doing one style Stick do that it. style right don't just decide you're going to become a poet for for a brief moment and then go back to just being you know a, a, a working writer you know so yeah anyway i guess my point of a moment like maybe you could get away with that in like dialogue between vader and the emperor where they in the movies they kind of talk in this slightly stilted or uh um what am i trying to say yeah this slightly stilted way mm-hmm. maybe maybe you could get away with it but from not the in, emperor not from vader yeah maybe yeah more <laughs> likely but you can't get away with that in vader's internal monologue get out of here <laughs> that's yeah. all okay yeah. go on with your bad sales Ryan, anything else stylistically? Good, good heavens, we've talked about this a lot. We have. I this is something I've been very open about in the past. Like understanding style and being able to identify and things like that is something that is not something I've done reading in the past. It's not. It wasn't a strength in when I was taking English classes or anything. So you pull these things out, like listening to some of these points here. I would never catch them. Right. I'll tell you honestly, I would never catch a lot of these things. Having them pointed out, like I see them and it makes sense. just just not your it not takes, your flavor of uh, criticism yeah and it's not something that, it wouldn't take me out of the book but that's on me that that's knowing me uh not necessarily i can't give steve perry kudos like congratulations you knew that you'd be dealing with at least half idiots so like <laughs> come on you know that's that's thing so I, I don't really know what to say stylistically about the book other than i wouldn't have caught those things but i see them now and so if I go back and read it again, I will probably be more aware of them now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like there's plenty of them seated through the book to go through. Oh, man. <laughs> I've got more. Well, well, that's an interesting point. Like, Lauren, you you haven't had any formal, you know, training in writing or, you know, or, or much formal training in, like, critical literary analysis. Um, 
but you you also are married to me <laughs> so you have to listen to this crap all the yeah, time all exactly. the time <laughs> <laughs> no i took i took ap lang where we worked on writing oh, but okay. we didn't work on voice it was just like grammar get, get ready to write that essay that's going to get you into college and that's <laughs> it so it you know i i wasn't experienced in this and i did read twilight as a 15 year old and i did enjoy it and then i tried to read it as like a 17 year old and had no. a harder time no i couldn't do it <laughs> but it took like reading something and experiencing something that was better or being more critical and going back and mm-hmm. seeing some of this stuff and then and then it's in my head you know that oh this is why i can't finish this book yeah it's yeah. because something pulled me out and maybe i didn't identify that before but i do think about it now because of you thank you <laughs> for better or worse I, yeah yeah <laughs> i i can i can see the argument um, not that you are making this argument ryan but i could see the argument that learning about this stuff and having an eye for it kind of ruins the experience oh gosh you know i just want to enjoy a good story right i and i guess maybe the way that i think about it is it's a bit like a you know the way people talk about fine wines right you want to be a connoisseur of of uh, whatever (laughs) european cheeses or whatever happens to be your thing whereas for for one person they're like yeah i like wine it gets me drunk great yeah uh but for another person it's uh when you get to know the ins and outs of the, the flavor profiles and the regions that they come from and the story of this particular uh, grower and the soil in, in that uh, corner of Spain that it comes from or what, whatever it, that it helps you to appreciate in mm-hmm. a different way. Right. And so I guess um, I, but that being said, you don't have to, you can just like drinking wine because you're out with your friends and it gets you drunk. Yeah, there's you know. no right way or wrong way to read books. You know, you can you can read a book, and if you enjoy it, you enjoy it. That's awesome. You know, ideally, the point of reading a book is to enjoy it. You know, and and it's just, you know, if if you want to read and enjoy books in a different way, you know, then you can dig into this sort of thing. And I know for me. Uh, you know, I, I went out of my way to learn this kind of stuff because I not only want to read and enjoy books in, in a different way, but I want to write books. Yeah. And, and that was the, you know, that was the big conscious step that I made, you know, going through high school where, where I was writing my first novel and I was, and, and I was frustrated and I was like, why does this book suck? <laughs> Why am I terrible at this? I, I need to get better at this and and made that choice to go into college and you know, study creative writing and literature. But, you know, like Craig said, it, sometimes it does ruin things. You know, I mean, one of my favorite professors in college, you know, sat us down. You know, it was a science world science fiction fantasy class. Everybody, everybody walked into that class the first day super excited Mm -hmm. you know we knew we were going to read some fun books and he was like you know yeah we're going to read some fun books we're also going to tear them apart i'm going to ruin reading for you and it was like oh uh, oh okay sounds like less fun now yeah (laughs) i mean and and in some ways he he did ruin reading for us but at the same time he made reading you know a a different and and sometimes richer experience for it i think if 
people who want to engage in an art form this this is across the board but those who engage in the art form when you take the time to learn how to critically view things you start to understand the difficulties and the complications and the pieces that make the good work that much better you know i I am not a painter. I don't understand those things. I walk into a, you know, the Met in New York, whatever, and I see these beautiful, gorgeous paintings. People are like, oh, it's a piece of, it's gorgeous. And I'm like, I, yep, sure. I could have done that. <laughs> Looks I, cool. Well, I would never say that. <laughs> I've painted too many <laughs> attempts to say that I could ever do anything like that. But it's one of those things to, to be able to understand the mastery and, the, and those things like that. That's, to me, the, the, the value of learning these things and being more aware of it is if I want to engage, like you've talked about wanting to be able to do that, I have to understand what mastery looks like and how to better emulate it. Yeah. Uh, that being said, I really get I, I get frustrated with and, and dealing with the fear of I'm not going to be able to enjoy something anymore that I did, and I don't think that has to be the case. Um, I know we've kind of veered yeah. off of. Shadows yeah, I was going to say no, we've left Star Wars far behind, haven't yeah, we? But but I think it, it's appropriate for this Star Wars book in particular, yeah. you know, because this is perhaps of any um, old expanded universe book one that that there's going to be a pretty hard line on you know whether or not you enjoy this book right you know here's okay can i with this discussion in mind the the fine wine discussion the the met art Mm -hmm. discussion never mind uh i (laughs) let me put it this way this is a bad book (laughs) it is badly structured it's badly paced it's badly written and i like it I I enjoy it. I if I can shut off my critical thinking for long enough to go like, "Ooh, Luke Skywalker's on an adventure. Awesome." Like I I really do. I mm-hmm. by the time I got to the end of this book, I had a lot of eye rolling to do as I was talking about yeah. it with Drew and Lauren, but at the same time I was like, "Oh, cool. Yeah, Star Wars. Fun." A mm-hmm. little bit of Ryan comes out of me. If yeah. you, if anybody <laughs> listens to the Legendarium, you know that Ryan just loves anything that has that Star Wars stamp on it. And there's a little piece of me that understands that because when I read a book like this, this bad book, it's like, oh, Star Wars, fun. Okay, cool. That was great. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and I'm probably, you know, even more critical of this book. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if I would say uh, this was a fun book to read. But there I were fun moments. It. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't recommend it. But I had fun with it. I I laughed at certain points. I laughed at some points. I probably wasn't supposed yeah, to laugh I was at. Say. But I I also you know like I did have those moments of getting lost in the story and just and you know you you forget that you're reading and you you sink into the pages and you know if if an author can make me do that on some level somewhere that author did something right there you go yeah yeah and honestly i wanted more like i want i want more of dash's story for sure so the uh so the fake out ending really worked on you well (laughs) i want i want his background i want to see like they they touch on it briefly oh yeah he was in the academy and then Mm. he got kicked and you know bad stuff happened to his family i want to know what happened since then and what that was like for him at the academy i did care so you want shadows of the empire 2 galactic boogaloo i, w- uh, I want guri i want i want her story that could I, be a great love story guri and dash can run off together wasn't and they there can have a, adventures there's they a could. moment um when they're they're taking up their they've 
nuked Coruscant and killed a million people. And they blew up the lower floor of a building. Oh, and then collapsed the building and killed thousands and thousands of people. Possibly, yes. <laughs> okay, yes. And they're flying. They they're running toward the Millennium Falcon because three PO is landing it poorly. And they run past a couple of paragliders or hang gliders, I should yeah. say. There's a couple of hang gliders there on on the platform. Okay. <laughs> it, yes, there's but there's space. Uh, there's space hang gliders. You yes. know. So of course. Uh, anyway. They run past him. Huh, that's interesting. There's two hang gliders there. They get on the ship. The ship takes off. As they're leaving, somebody looks out the window and, and uh, oh, one of them's gone. We really should get a Guri novel because she clearly escaped, right? So, so we, we need a Guri novel. Uh, unfortunately, there there aren't any like full-on novels or anything, but across a wide variety of encyclopedia entries and, yeah. and Star Wars Insider articles and comics and uh, and short stories and things. Uh, both Dash Rendar and Geary survived. Geary hunts down her creators and forces them to uh, fix her programming to remove the assassin droid part and she and Dash Rendar end up teaming up as mercenaries. No. What? Yep. <laughs> yep. It is great. That's it was fantastic. inevitable. Yeah. It was their destiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. There was, there was a happy ending. <laughs> so, uh, what do we think? Is that, the, is that the end of our discussion here? I think, I think uh, that can be the end of the discussion for Shadows of the Empire. But before we get into uh, the giveaway. And final draft. We have a little final draft here. Yeah. You're the only one final drafting tonight. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've I guess you've some, been sipping out of it as well. you need to have some. <laughs> okay. All right. So tell me what you're drinking, Drew. Yeah. Unfortunately, as Craig said, there was only one beer opened uh, because... Let's, when Drew and Lauren come to town, there was not only one <laughs> beer open. Okay. Like this, this, it's just right now... There was only one thematic beer open. There you go. Um, the... Uh, this episode was done on, on relatively short notice and also involved a trip across state lines. So I wasn't exactly prepared, <laughs> but, but thankfully we were able to get our, our grubby mitts on a delicious and thematically appropriate beer. Uh, this is a whiskey barrel aged Imperial stout from river North brewing company in Denver, Colorado. Uh, I believe I've brought a couple of beers on from river north before um but this this is a nice 12.2 percent heavy drinker oh yeah yeah much like yourself this is yeah yeah. i just called you fat (laughs) yes i'm very fat um (laughs) uh, (laughs) yeah wow um I just appreciate that you chose that one with the Imperial Stout because we were looking at some of the other bottles over here you had, and I was like, you've got Shizor and you've got Backdoor. There's some potentials here. Like, <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> but at least you, you did you did choose an Imperial Stout. Yes. So. Yeah. That's, um, how that's dare something. you? Um, <laughs> well, there know, are no Rebel Stouts. I'm sorry, Ryan. It's Dark Shadows Imperial Shadows. Of the there Empire. you go. Okay. No, no. Uh, but, but this does actually uh, work pretty well with... Mr. Shizor himself, the the greedy, power-hungry uh, antagonist of this novel. This beer is called Avarice. Very simple, very effective. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And on that note, because I am drinking this barrel-aged Avarice out of the official 
can we say official? Sure. Official. Yeah, yeah. Legendarium inking out loud. Uh, Collab glass. Um, we want to give away a couple of these things, as Craig said at the top of the episode. Not the one Drew is drinking out. No, of. No, no. <laughs> That's mine. Back off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mine is back in Colorado still. That's right. Uh, but like Craig said, if you want to get a shot at this, you'll need to tweet a hashtag at uh, the Legendarium Podcast or Inking Out Loud on Twitter. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say and. Ooh, and. Yeah, I like that. Legendarium and. I, and I'll make this clear in the show notes for our episode as well. But Yeah. Uh, and what is your handle at Legendarium Pod? That's right. Yeah. And, and Inking Out Loud is at IOL Podcast. Yep. So, uh, yeah, tweet this hashtag in the first episode. We gave you half of the hashtag and in the, uh, the first half, I should say the first half of the hashtag. Yes. And the second half is lives. So go check out the first shadows of the empire episode on the legendarium to get the first half and then tweet away to see if you can get one of these fancy, fancy glasses. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a couple of them to give away. So uh, both of you who get the the both the hashtag things, both of you should get one of these mugs or mugs glasses. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, we are not the dusty wheel. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. Yeah, yeah. So this has been a special bonus episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Uh, next up, actually, I don't even know what's next up because I don't have. It's my, a special bonus episode. You don't have to. Do yeah, that, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but if you want to support the podcast, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash inking out loud. You can get access to more bonus episodes, our monthly newsletter, monthly short fiction, original fiction written by Rob or myself, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So consider supporting the show there. As always, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey. And with me, my special guests, Craig Hanks, Woo. Ryan Bruckman, hey, and Lauren McCaffrey. Thanks, guys. So thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.